of sound. Good morning again, and good morning to everyone out there around the country and around the world who has been joining us for some time now. We love you very much. Uh, send a very special hello to our brothers and sisters in Lord Jesus, literally on the other side of the world and all around the world. So thank you for joining us. We trust you had a blessed Easter, and you enjoyed Brother Dan's message last week. And with this week, we will return to our study of the book of Ephesians. Probably will bring it to a close within the next week or so. But first of all, as is our custom, I would like to bring a particular country to your attention out of the Voice of the Martyrs uh, prayer guide. We're coming to the end of the prayer guide as well. Today, I would like to bring to your attention... Christian believers who are in the United Arab Emirates, please pray today and, of course, always for Christians in the United Arab Emirates. According to Voice of the Martyrs, uh, the UAB, United Arab Emirates, is a restricted country. The Christian population of the UAE is about 9% of the total population, but these Christians are nearly all foreign workers. There are very few known Christians among the native Emirati Arabs. Uh, foreigners enjoy a high level of religious freedom, however, and Christian churches are allowed in the country with the understanding that they will not evangelize Muslims or undermine the local government. Proselytizing Muslims is forbidden. It can be difficult for foreigners uh, to form close relationships with Emirati families, but some Christians are intentional about sharing their faith with other migrants living in the UAE, Persians, Afghans, South Asians, amongst others. Very few indigenous Emiratis have come to faith inside of their homeland. Most Emiratis are Sunni Muslims. Emirati Christian converts are persecuted primarily by their immediate families or neighbors. Only a few native Emiratis have converted to Christianity from Islam. Due to the modernity of their country, however, they enjoy some degree of flexibility in meeting uh, secretly for worship. However, if their faith is discovered, it is likely they will lose their jobs, homes, even spouses or children. Their families will disown them, and they may be prosecuted for apostasy. The people of the UAE have easy access to the Bible through the internet or the various uh, churches for expatriates throughout the country. Voice of the Martyrs provides support to Christians from a Muslim background and supports follow-up work for the many media ministries reaching into the country from abroad. So, in your prayers this week, please remember our brothers and sisters in the United Arab Emirates. Lord God, our Heavenly Father, thank you for these wonderful spring days. Uh, thank you for these brothers and sisters who have met here to serve and to worship you, to spread your word and the teaching of your word throughout this community, our country, and throughout the world. Thank you for all of our brothers and sisters and others throughout the world who have been watching and listening, uh, some of them for the better part uh, of a year or so now. Bless these folks. Open their minds and hearts to receive the truth of your word. Open the mind and heart of everyone here and abroad who hears you speaking to them out of your word, the teaching of your word, which is truth. Bless their souls, their hearts and their minds, and draw them into a deeper and restored relationship with you by way of the divine Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. Fill this meeting and this teaching with your spirit, and as it goes out throughout the world, we pray for our 
uh, folks upon our prayer request list and circumstances and situations and our friends, extended friends and family members of which we are not aware. Draw them closer to you by every situation and circumstances you know best of sovereign God. Be with them, heal them of their sicknesses and diseases, and reveal yourself to them in a greater and clearer way by way of their troubles or difficulties that they and we all encounter. Bless the teaching of your word from our great big brother Paul. We are so grateful for his service to you and long to meet him one day and our Ephesian brothers and sisters in your presence. May everything that is said and done here this morning be in praise and honor and glory to you, O great warrior king who commands your soldiers to armor up for battle against the evil one and the forces of darkness that work in this world, as our passage teaches us. In the blessed and holy name of Jesus, may the meditations of all of our hearts and the words of my mouth be pleasing to you, O Lord our God, our rock and our redeemer. Yes, in Jesus' holy name we pray. Amen. Would you stand, please, for the reading of the Word of the Lord? Ephesians chapter 6, just two verses today. I want to give all the attention to this spiritual warfare passage that the passage deserves. Today, Ephesians chapter 6, verses 14 and 15. Paul tells us today to armor up in truth and righteousness. Ephesians 6, 14, 15. Stand firm, therefore, having girded your loins with truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. These are the words of the Lord. Thanks be to God for them. Thank you, folks. You may be seated. So today, as we resume Paul's inspired teaching upon the reality of spiritual warfare, as we traditionally call it, one of his favorite metaphors for the Christian life, that is the Christian as a soldier. With verse 14, as you can see, Paul begins to describe each particular piece of armor with which the Christian soldier is to armor up in daily and go into combat against the forces of evil in this world. He'll begin to describe each piece of the Christian soldier's armor, arms, and equipment for the battle. So let's give a careful, I pray God, careful uh, unpacking, as we say, of the truth that he's inspired to give us. So once again, therefore... It's been interesting in translating very expressive and strong New Testament Greek into English in this passage. Therefore, take up the armor of God that you may be able to resist in the evil day and having done everything to stand firm. I'm going to take a running leap into 14. Stand firm. Therefore, having girded your loins with truth, having put on the breastplate, of righteousness. It's if Paul is saying, stand fast then to arms. Belt up your waist with truth. Put on the breastplate of righteousness. It's as if Paul is beginning this verse with something akin to, I have told you of this war that we are in. I have told you of your enemy, our enemy. Now to arms. Let's get into this fight. And here now is your equipment, your kit. You can do this, Christian soldier, so let's get to it. Paul's giving a very strong and passionate, what we would call a battlefield speech, a battlefield utterance, a battlefield command. You really get this, particularly in the original language. This is how we are to interpret this. This is how we are to respond. This is how we are to obey as dutiful spiritual warriors, Christian soldiers. 
this passage, as I made a remark a moment or so ago, it, it's somewhat difficult to translate into English with the same punch or the same power that Paul writes with in the original Greek. He is using, of course, in the Eng- any English translation, very strong militaristic language. But the, the terms, the language, the vocabulary that he's using, it, he's writing with an emergency like immediacy, in very strong emergency immediacy language. And remember, this basic command, this basic exhortation, if you examine sacred scripture carefully, Old Testament and New Testament, this has been given all throughout history to God's people in this world, Old Testament, New Testament. And when you consider the Old Testament as well as the New Testament, this command has been given both literally and metaphorically. Also, we should not forget that in the Old Testament, I bring your attention to the book of Isaiah in particular, although there are numerous other passages throughout the New Testament. But in particular, in the book of Isaiah, God the Almighty and His Messiah, the Christ, are described as a divine warrior king who does battle against evil and who occasionally summons his people as warriors to join in that fight. And that is probably the primary imagery on Paul's mind that he is drawing from for this passage. I think we've gone too far in saying, oh, he's inspired by the Roman military of his day. Perhaps a little bit. But first and foremost, this man is under the inspiration of the Spirit and under the inspiration of sacred scripture of the Old Testament, and that's what it's on his mind and his heart. His chief inspiration is God the Almighty, the Christ the Messiah, as a divine warrior king who he himself is armored up to ride forth to war against evil. So it is with the king, so it is with his people. In the New Testament, that has not changed. The Lord God, the Christ, the Messiah, is still the divine warrior king who does battle against evil. He did in his first advent in his conquest on the cross, and he will do so in his second advent. For some of your Bible studies this week, go read Revelation chapter 19, the final return of the Messiah in his second advent, the final return of the Christ. Yes, it is written in apocalyptic language, but in the apocalyptic language of John's visions, you see Jesus Christ as the divine warrior king riding forth to war for the last time, once and for all to destroy evil in the cosmos and in this world. And he summons his people as soldiers, spiritual soldiers, for that fight. Here, yes, particularly spiritual warfare, a spiritual conflict against spiritual enemies, spirit beings. Paul most likely, again, has the image of the Messiah's divine warrior here for his inspiration from Isaiah chapter 11. Just one passage amongst many. Isaiah chapter 11, verse 5 states that the Messiah shall have, quote, his waist belted up with righteousness. Does that sound familiar? Almost exactly the same metaphor, almost exactly the same language that Paul is using to write as a Christian warrior for the Ephesian Christians and for us. The Messiah in Isaiah 11 shall have his waist belted up with righteousness. So it is with the warrior king, so it is with his troops. His soldiers be belted up, girded up with righteousness. Now, I'm packing this a little more in detail. The first of the pieces of armor, arms, armor, and equipment to be used is truth. 
Isn't that interesting? Of all of the things that he could have began with, one of the first fundamental foundational pieces of armor to protect your body that you are to wear and to go into the fight against our ultimate enemy is truth, aletheia in the Greek. Truth itself. Truth can defend like armor and does. Truth also arguably can be used as a weapon with which to defeat evil, particularly lies, error, deceit, falsehood. Know the truth. The truth will set you free, Jesus said. Jesus is the personification, the very source of all true truth, as Brother Francis Schaeffer would say. And probably more so than ever before in our 240-some year history, here in the United States, we are suffocating in lies and liars. Armor up, Christian warrior, in the truth of he who is truth. That is the first piece of armor that the inspired apostle tells us to be dressed in, to do battle against evil. This can be said, this statement Paul makes, can be said to be referring to knowing truth, true truth, scriptural truth, living your life in light of that truth, under the influence of that truth, proclaiming that truth, and yes, personally appropriating the truth, God's truth, in your life. Again, the truth, the one and only true truth. The truth of and the truth from He who is truth. The source of all truth. The source of ultimate reality. He establishes reality. We do not. There's another terrible problem we have. Human beings believing that they can literally concoct or make up their own reality that is tragic, that is destructive, that is a lie. There is only one ultimate reality, and it comes from He, the Creator, Redeemer, God, the Creator of all, who is absolute and ultimate reality, beginning, middle, and end. Know His truth, He who is truth. One of the most foundational, fundamental pieces of armor that will help you protect yourself against evil in the battle against evil in this world. Okay? This includes the truth of Jesus the Christ. The truth of new life offered in Jesus the Christ. The truth of a believer's new identity in the Christ. And we are, of course, this arguably or appreciably, I should say, also means we are to pursue righteousness. We are to cultivate the lifestyle of speaking and living righteousness. Or rather, pardon me, I'm getting ahead of myself. The truth. We are to cultivate a lifestyle of speaking, living, and defending the truth. That is how we wear the truth. His truth like armor. Belted armor around your body, your waist, to protect that vital area, according to the metaphor, in this fight. The truth is like a belt or band of armor, he is saying. All of the divine truth of sacred scripture, that's what he means. All of the divine truth, the revealed truth of God to humanity, given to us in sacred scripture, given to his people, his bride, his church. The truth, the gospel, the good news of the person and work of Christ upon which the church stands or falls. Theologian Peter O'Brien wrote in his commentary of Ephesians, quote, as believers buckle on this belt, this piece of Messiah's armor, 
they will be strengthened by God's truth revealed in the gospel, as a consequence of which they will display the characteristics of the anointed one himself in their attitudes, their language, their behavior, end quote. Or allow me to add, this will make them more than a match, pray God, in combating evil. You see, Paul is saying that, staying within the boundaries of this metaphor, it's a wonderful metaphor. Paul is saying truth is the belt. Truth itself is the armor. Truth is the material, the substance, the belt or armored band that this armor is made of. First of all, first and foremost, truth. How important is the truth now and always? Um, this just struck me this morning while Bernie and I were getting ready, which makes me think, yes, Lord, I'll obey. I'll read this. <laughs> uh, Brother Dan told you uh, last week or so uh, this effort by Crossway Books that, that we are supporting the work of... Uh, African pastor and theologian, Brother Conrad Mabewe. And he has written a book called God's Design for the Church, A Guide for African Pastors and Ministry Leaders. This is an absolutely wonderful book. And he, through Crossway Publishers and help from folks like us, wants to put as many copies of this book into the hands of African pastors and churches as possible so they can have truly uh, bib healthy New Testament biblical churches. But I'll say in the same breath, everybody in America needs to read this book. Much of this, uh, there's some of this book that is unique only for certain cultural situations and circumstances to our brothers and sisters in Africa. But folks, for my part, everybody in America needs to read this book. There is much in this book that condemns American fraudulent cultural Christianity. Everybody in this country needs to read this book. Let me read you a few remarks that he writes about truth. Truth in spiritual warfare. He writes, Sanctification is through the truth. The spiritual lives of believers depend on their knowledge of the truth. We, we have already stated that erroneous belief can only lead to erroneous living because we will live what we believe. Here I want to go further and state that the Holy Spirit uses the truth of the Bible, the truth of Scripture, in order to make believers more and more like the Lord Jesus Christ in their character to the glory of God the Father. Jesus Himself prayed to the Father in John 17, 17, Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. The truth, that belt of truth, is the instrument that God uses to make His people holy. Sadly, there is a prevalent view today that mere emotionalism is what will draw people closer to God. Many individuals think that some emotional high, perhaps as a result of an emotionally charged sermon or due to emotionally charged music played during worship, that's what's going to make God's people move on to the next level of spirituality. For a very limited time, such tactics will make people feel perhaps a greater emotional attachment to Christianity, but that never lasts. Trials and temptations will come and will soon cause people to turn away from their obedience to Christ. It is those who are deeply grounded in the truth, the truth of the Bible, the truth of the gospel, who will overcome these onslaughts upon the soul and move on to greater heights of godliness. The mind must be filled with truth in order for the heart to truly embrace Christ Jesus despite the trials and temptations of this life.
spiritual warfare, the battlefield of this world, allow me to add. This is why it matters what your church believes and what your church teaches. If it believes and teaches the truth concerning Christ, then the lives of its members will soon show maturity that truly glorifies God. First of all, armor up in the truth. Now, second of all, immediately, what's the next thing that you're supposed to put on? Having put on the breastplate of righteousness. It's almost simultaneous. In the same breath. Having put on the breastplate of righteousness. Now this should be understood, interpreted, appropriated the same way, according to the metaphor. Righteousness is the armor. Righteousness itself is the breastplate covering you. Your torso, your chest, your vital organs, that important part of your body, speaking within the metaphor again, of course, that you want to protect. Very important part of the new life, very important part of the new identity in Christ, Paul has taught us, is that we are to be people of the truth. We must put off falsehood, as he constantly tells us. Put off the false, put on the true. Put off the old, put on the new. Get rid of the old man, the old woman. Put on the new man, the new woman in Christ Jesus, all while putting on the armor of God. Now, we must appropriate truth and righteousness, truth and righteousness in our life. So let me unpack this metaphor a little more. It's very interesting. Breastplate of righteousness. The word that he uses in the original Greek is dikaiosunes, from dikaios, which we translate as to be right or to be righteous. The word here is dikaiosunes. Righteousness. And let me unpack this word for you because it's a very important word in New Testament Greek. It's deep. Dikaiosones, this righteousness of which this breastplate is made of to fundamentally protect you in the fight. This word means to be just, to be, as we would say, upright, to be morally pure. It does also mean to be fair, to be fair, to be equitable, to be honest. Uh, it means that you are a person who pursues justice. True justice, not mankind's perverted definition of justice, God Almighty's definition of true justice. We pursue His justice. It means to be upright, to be fitting and proper, to be a virtuous, a person of the virtues, as we traditionally would say in Western culture, to be a person of sound moral character and integrity. But most important of all in the hands of the New Testament writers, this word also means to be justified according to God. To be justified by God. To be declared justified by God. To be justified in the eyes of God. All of this by way of salvation in Christ. Most important of all. So all of this that we are to put on and wear like armor daily. Appropriate and pursue, first of all, Christ's righteousness. Remember, the armor of God is given to you as a gift. And we fight in the power of the Christ. We do not have any righteousness intrinsic or inherent to ourselves. We can't manufacture that within ourselves. It will not do. It's no good. 
The only righteousness that we really have, that we really possess, that is to be had, is Christ's righteousness given to us as a gracious gift. His righteousness given to us as a gift upon our salvation is the righteousness that we put on like armor and fight the good fight. This must begin and end. Again, very important, because a lot of folks still are under that erroneous, tragic belief that they can manufacture righteousness themselves. Nothing doing. Nothing doing. Not at all. That is not at all what sacred scripture teaches us. We are fallen, sinful creatures in rebellion against a creator, redeemer, God. We cannot manufacture righteousness within ourselves. That's why we need a Savior who can give us His righteousness or place His righteousness upon us. We must appropriate and pursue Christ's righteousness. It begins and ends with Christ's divine righteousness given to us as a divine gift upon our salvation, upon being a recipient of the new life, the new birth. This is what we call the imputation of righteousness. Our sin, our rebellion was imputed or placed upon Jesus Christ upon that cross when He paid the penalty for our rebellion against God. And upon the new birth, His righteousness is imputed or placed upon or given to us. Thereby we receive righteousness, the breastplate of righteousness. Or we receive this by what the old Protestant reformers would call in the era of the Reformation, we receive this righteousness by justification, by faith alone, in Christ alone, to the glory of God alone. Dr. S. M. Bow writes in his commentary, quote, it's a wonderful comment. If believers have any righteousness and integrity at all, it springs up as fruit from the free gift of Christ's own righteousness sent from above, end quote. Beautifully put. If believers have any righteousness and character and integrity at all, this breastplate of righteousness at all, it springs up as fruit from the free gift of Christ's own righteousness sent from above. Also, this breastplate, which is righteousness, it can also be said to be this. The pursuit of a life of righteousness and all that that means. Now that we have received upon us the righteousness of Christ, by way of the new birth and new life, remember the Christian life is active, it is never passive. We receive Christ's righteousness as a gift, a piece of vital protective armor, and then we are to continue to actively pursue righteousness. Cultivate it. Buckle it on like armor. Every day that you live, put it on, wear it like armor, for so righteousness is. Armor for life, armor for the soul. This will protect you in this war, spiritual warfare. So now, perhaps a word or two more about this image of righteousness as a breastplate. The word that Paul, the word that Paul used for breastplate is thorax. Have you ever heard of the English word thorax? Well, this is the word by which we get the English word thorax, uh, referring to some insects or animals or a person. A thorax. This is your thorax. What we will call your torso, the trunk or the most important part of your body where your vital organs are. Thorax means this breastplate, which covers your trunk, your torso. This vital part of your body that, of course, naturally, you have to protect in going into battle. Sometimes in more uh, recent centuries, in the history of Western nations, this is called a cuirass. In two pieces, which covers the front and the back, attached at the sides. Uh, body armor in, in two or more pieces to protect the thorax, torso, the body proper. 
uh, I should have put a picture up here for you, but in the first century A.D., at the time of the life of Christ and the apostles, uh, Roman legionnaires wore what they called in Latin, lorica segmentata, which was basically segmented bands of armor that were joined together and were fastened up the front. But it covered the front, a breastplate, and the back. And there were two large shoulder pieces that helped hold the body armor together, but also protected the shoulders and the neck. Uh, Roman auxiliary troops wore a chainmail tunic. Yes, chainmail is very, very old. So Roman auxiliaries were wearing chainmail tunics with shoulder pieces at this time. But the Roman legionnaires were wearing this segmented band armor, lorica segmentata. And this may have been something of an inspiration for, for Paul. You've also have seen, well, you've probably seen um, the Greek hoplite warriors from ancient Greek history with, with their breastplate. I mean, this has been used all throughout antiquity and even up into the, the late 19th century. Okay. Um, a breastplate, basic thorax body armor, has been used by soldiers throughout all of history in one form or, or, or other, depending on your culture. In fact, we even have body armor today, don't we? Soldiers in law enforcement have body armor today to protect a person from a gunshot wound. In some ways, the basic uh, concept, the basic purpose has not changed much in three, 4,000 years. Here's the importance. That's how important righteousness is to you in waging spiritual warfare. That is how absolutely foundational and fundamental righteousness is in protecting you against the evil one and our ultimate spiritual enemies in the battleground, the warfare, the trenches of this world. That's how basic, foundational, and fundamental that it is. That's how important righteousness is to you in the cosmic struggle, the spiritual warfare being waged, of which we are a part. Whether we are aware of it or not, whether we like it or not, we're in this fight. If you truly do belong to King Jesus, you have enlisted in His armed forces. And remember, of course, Paul is not just inspired by body Roman armor. Let me take you back to the Old Testament, his primary inspiration here. He's inspired by the Old Testament prophets when they spoke of the Lord and His Messiah as the divine warrior king prepared for battle. Isaiah 59, 17 states, you might find this familiar. Isaiah 59, 17 states, He put on righteousness as His breastplate. Sound familiar? Almost exactly the same terminology. The same language. The Lord... The warrior king, also according to Isaiah chapter 59, he puts on righteousness to fight against unrighteousness and to bring ultimate redemption and deliverance to his people and to his creation. So his people must be clothed and armored up in righteousness themselves for this battle against unrighteousness. If not, you are likely to be a casualty, to be maimed, to be wounded. In this spiritual war. Verse 15. And having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Or let me offer you this translation as well. And have your feet shod with readiness of or from the gospel of peace. That's a very interesting statement. That's a very interesting thing to say. 
if you really look at this, which we should, and having shod your feet, so protecting your feet, which is vital, of course, very important, by association your legs, so you're going to be able to stand, function, move, basically. Having shod your feet with the preparation, or you can translate this also as readiness, a preparation or readiness of or from the gospel of peace. Gospel of peace in a passage about waging warfare. Isn't that interesting? So Christian soldier, you must put on these combat boots, he's saying. Have, having shod, protect your feet for defense or attack. Be able to move. But be able to fight. By way of this readiness, preparation of or from the gospel of peace. So shoes for battle by, for waging spiritual warfare. Now some historians, of course, they want to draw from the image of the Roman soldier, which Paul would be very familiar of. And he could have. He may have been thinking of the very effective footgear of Roman soldiers. They were called caligae. Caligae were very, very thick-soled, made out of very uh, heavy, tough leather. They were almost boot-like. They came up just above the man's ankle. And they had hobnails. They were basically really heavy, leather, le uh, leather-soled, uh, ankle-high, almost boot-like, hobnailed sandals. <laughs> and they were very, very effective. Uh, the Roman historian Dio Cassius called them from the Latin military shoes. Short, sweet, and to the point, for so they are. Military shoes for waging war. But Paul's focus, however, in all the parts of this armor, in all the parts of this uniform, remember, his focus is not so much on the metaphor itself, but of course on, on the truth that the metaphor conveys to us. And here it is, the preparation or readiness of the gospel of peace. So first of all, it's interesting that Paul does not simply say this. He could have said this simply. Put on the gospel as military boots. That's not what he says. Paul speaks of a readiness, a preparation that must be addressed here. And this takes place in association to or in relation to the gospel, the gospel of peace. Now, what is the gospel? The word in the original Greek is euangelion, good news. That's what we translate as good news or gospel. You, I may have told you this before, you may have forgotten. But euangelion was originally a quasi-military term itself. Euangelion originally meant good news from the battlefield, good news from the battlefront. It was when a soldier or a messenger returned home and gave good news that our forces have won their campaign or have won their battle on the battlefront. It is military language. This good news is about Jesus, the divine warrior king, who has won the ultimate battle over our ultimate enemy in this cosmic struggle against good and evil. He is the good news from the ultimate battlefront, the spiritual battlefront, and any other for that matter in the end. Good news, the good news of salvation, the good by way of Christ, the good news of the Christ conquering evil, and the good news of peace. In the midst of this warfare, if you want peace, it will only come one way from He who is the Prince of Peace, the mighty divine warrior king who has conquered evil and who will conquer evil and who will give His creation and His people true and lasting peace. It's a very poignant thing to say. 
in a passage about warfare to soldiers. For goodness sakes, folks, who in this world yearns for peace more than a veteran? Who in this world yearns for true and lasting peace more than a soldier who has been exposed to combat and to warfare? The good, and it, here's the irony of it. This good news, this gospel that gives you true and lasting peace prepares you for battle, prepares you for the fight. The good news of your true and lasting and final peace is what's going to armor you up to fight now in this world that is half pilgrimage and half battlefield. Metaphorically speaking, like the combat footgear a soldier must have and cannot do without, you must have the good news of that gospel of peace. Now, there's two preferred favored ways to interpret the metaphor. There have been a lot of ink spilled over this over the last 2,000 years, as you can imagine. And sometimes we want to just choose one interpretation or the other. If there's more than one interpretation, sometimes we have a bad habit of saying, oh, well, there's got to be a right one and a wrong one. No, sometimes that's not the case. Sometimes both interpretations are true and are right and are correct and are speaking a truth. And I believe that very well may be the case the case here. Um, one, Paul may be saying that the God, I think he is saying, he may be saying, he is saying, the gospel itself is the source of the believer's readiness and preparation. That is, this would refer to the readiness that comes from living out the truth of the gospel in your life, appropriating Gospel truth for one's own life. This will make you ready. This will prepare you to fight the spiritual fight. Isn't that true? It's most certainly true. There's also another interpretation, which I believe may be equally true. The other interpretation is this readiness, this preparation, this being shod, according to the metaphor, this preparation, this readiness, is for proclaiming the gospel. I think that's true too. This readiness and preparation is to prepare you for the good fight, for proclaiming the gospel. So this would refer to the readiness, the equipping of the believer to be able to share, to be able to proclaim, to be able to teach the truth of the gospel, the good news of peace. Again, there's much to recommend both of these interpretations. Paul may apply both to the metaphor. So let me run some statements by you that I think you can take away from having your feet shod with a readiness of preparation that comes from the gospel of peace. Where is combat gear to protect your feet, your legs? The readiness, this readiness for combat and for standing in battle that is bestowed upon you by way of the gospel of peace. Perhaps you could even more simply put it this way. If you are appropriating the truth of the gospel of peace in Christ in and over your life, you will be shod, you will be prepared, you will be ready. And if you are always in readiness to proclaim the gospel, you will be well shod. You will be prepared for spiritual combat, for spiritual battle. So under the inspiration of the Spirit, Paul may have, again, the book of Isaiah in mind here. As he writes this metaphor, this passage, let me read you this. Isaiah chapter 52, verse 7 states, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news, who proclaim peace, who bring good tidings, who proclaim salvation. Does that sound familiar? That's what Paul's drawing from. 
Paul, you see what he's doing? Here in Ephesians, in this metaphor that he's giving to our Ephesian brothers and sisters and to us, Paul is using Isaiah's language, Isaiah's metaphor. But he's using it now in the context of warfare between the kingdom of God, between the kingdom of the Christ against the forces of evil in the New Testament era, the New Covenant age. So as a vital foundational part of being armored, prepared, shod for waging spiritual warfare, believers are called upon to live their life in the truth of the gospel of peace and to be prepared and equip themselves to proclaim and to teach the gospel of peace. And you'll do well out there in the trenches, in the fight. Last word of the day I give to Brother Clint Arnold from a summary in his commentary. Believers are called to prepare themselves to live the truth of the gospel and to share the truth of the gospel. This involves becoming very well acquainted with the heart of the gospel message and preparing themselves in how to proclaim it and in seeking directions from the head of the church, our Lord Jesus Christ, on where to go to share that message. The proclamation of the gospel, yes, presents a major attack upon the kingdom of Satan. By His work on the cross, remember Jesus told us in Matthew 12 and in Mark 3, by His coming work on the cross, Jesus has bound Satan the strong man so that now God's people can plunder the possessions of Satan the strong man. That is to say, free the captives of Satan's domain by announcing the good news of God's salvation, the gospel of peace. It is ironic in a context of warfare to find a reference to peace as armor to peace as a weapon, but the content of the gospel is a message of peace. The warfare that believers are called to engage in are to free prisoners, are to free victims. Unbelievers are in bondage and slavery to a threefold form of evil, the ruler of the air, the flesh, the age of this world, which has led them to live sinfully and results in alienation from God, exclusion from His people and His kingdom. But at the heart of the gospel message is the good news that Jesus the Christ can now be our peace because He has sacrificially shed His blood for the forgiveness of our sins. Spreading this good news means opposing the work of these spiritual powers who endeavor to blind the minds of people so that they cannot see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ. It is very important to remember, Christian believer, that spiritual warfare represents a struggle against the ultimate enemies, the spiritual forces that stand behind and incite evil in this world. They who incite literal violence, aggression, strife, hatred, bitterness, and of course, actual flesh and blood warfare. Spiritual warfare is the solution to human warfare. Lord God, our Heavenly Father, thank You for these wonderful truths given to us by this beautiful but very challenging, even disturbing metaphor. Life is half pilgrimage and half battleground, and we are soldiers on campaign until we are recalled to our ultimate and lasting peace, our final home, or until our great King Jesus, the divine warrior, returns with all of His soldiers in tow to end evil in this universe once and for all and forever. Help us in our humble way to fight the good fight. 
by armoring up in your truth and your righteousness on a daily basis to see us through. Help everyone listening and hearing to Paul's words. Appropriate this truth that we are teaching and translate these words into action in their life to finish life wisely and well. In Jesus' holy name we pray. Amen.